Howdy, Huda Thunkers. This is the host of the Huda Thunkin' Podcast, Zeb, coming at you. Episode 177, titled Skywalkers. Before we get into that, let's do the recommendation segment where I recommend you check something out. This week, I recommend a YouTube channel called Code Blue Cam. The description from their own YouTube channel reads, Code Blue Cam delivers unbiased and genuine footage of incidents captured by body cameras. Uh, we are confident that this content can serve as an educational and informative um, tool for reviewers to examine and assess different scenarios. The channel is not run by or affiliated with any law enforcement agency. We only provide unique and original content that hasn't been covered before unless there is significant and meaningful information to include. Leave an anonymous tip or any general questions using the email below. So if you go to their channel, though, that'll be on there. The featured content is not intended to be violent or glorify violence in any way. We are sharing the footage strictly for the purpose of news reporting and educating. So, yeah, and I'd say that's relatively accurate. It feels like a guilty pleasure when I watch this, sort of like cops, <laughs> but with a smaller budget. They say it is unbiased, and for the most part, I would agree. Um, but it seems they side with the law enforcement rather than the suspects. Whereas you can find plenty of content online where people are like almost always are against the cops side with the suspect, no matter what's going on. Um, this is a little bit different, um, but it, it does come off as mostly neutral. I do think the videos are educational and can benefit benefit most people who watch them, you know, learn about what kind of scenarios, interactions with law enforcement. Shannon and I frequently say how it teaches you a lot about one's rights regarding interactions with law enforcement, what you can do, what you can't do. Um, and if the cop is legit and not corrupt or or being an, an a-hole, um, what, what probably the best way to conduct yourself is. That being said, it is entertaining as hell. So that's why I recommend it. Um, Shannon and I just watch these. Some of them are like, you know, 12 minutes long. Some are like 35 minutes long. So it's like an episode of a TV show or something. So it's pretty fun. Now for the main event, Skywalkers. And no, this episode isn't about Luke, Leia, or Anakin. These are different kinds of Skywalkers, real ones. And I thought that was more interesting. This is a another history episode. Indians or Native Americans aren't typically associated with concrete jungles of America, certainly not one of the largest, New York City. But the Mohawk Nation played a key role in the construction of the Big Apple, particularly particularly its giant skyscrapers. The uh, Skywalkers have for generations traveled far and wide to work on the high real, uh, the high high steel. I don't know, my, my computer's bugging out. High steel, bringing back, what the heck is happening here? Sorry, bringing back good wages to support their home communities, such as the Kanawake Six Nations Re Reserve and Akawasasne in northern uh, New York State and southeastern Canada. That's from history.com. So they come from all over the, they came from all over the country. They still do. And they work on skyscrapers such as New York, very iconic buildings. Now, this wasn't just a uh, small story from history. These guys constructed virtually every skyscraper in New York City. They came to Pittsburgh, too. They worked on iconic infrastructure, like uh, such as the U.S. Steel Building, which is the tallest one in Pittsburgh. If you've ever been to Pittsburgh, uh, where I call home now, there is a huge black structure with the words UPMC on it. That is the U.S. Steel Building. It's I think it's cool as heck looking. The Civic Arena and the Fort Pitt Bridge. Fort Pitt Bridge is considered one of the most beautiful entryways to Pittsburgh. So I thought that was cool that they even created things here in home. Now, 
It became a rite of passage, really, said Lynn Beauvais, a Kanawake resident and grandmother from a fourth generation ironworker family in an interview with History.com. Keep in mind, keep that name, uh, Lynn Beauvais. She comes into the episode in and out. I uh, reference History.com heavily for this episode, but they are not the only source I I listed a couple other sources on here as well. The men were thrilled to be working away from home and seeing new sites. They were a band of brothers, but our men had always traveled for the hunt, the fur trade, or as lumbermen. So that's straight from Lynn Beauvais. And she was an older woman, uh, grandmother, who was interviewed for the fourth generation ironworker family. So she knew a lot about it when she was interviewing or being interviewed by history.com. It started in 1886. That's when the first iteration of these Iron Skywalkers came about. Over the St. Lawrence River, Mohawk men from uh, the Kanawake agreed to construct the Victoria Bridge across the Behemoth River, bordering their reserve near Montreal. This wasn't a total new revelation. The, fearless, uh, the fearlessness these men displayed over deadly heights Early settlers from Europe documented Mohawks running across logs, laying over rivers, and scaling large cliffs. So that's documented way before the 1800s. So, it's, you know, this rare skill was then put to use. People building bridges, uh, specifically the one over the St. Lawrence River, thought, why not use these men in their unique skill? Quote, uh, having once hunted, trapped, and farmed throughout the northeast woodlands, the Mohawks of the, oh, here we go, the Haudenosaunee, <laughs> or the Iroquois Confederacy, eventually took to the high steel in burgeoning metropolitan areas. These indigenous riveting gangs spoke their native tongues, native languages, in the on the job while helping to build the Chrysler Building, Empire State Building, Rockefeller Plaza, and many other structures that shaped the New York City skyline in the 20s and 30s, 1920s and 30s. An awe-inspiring construction wasn't all there was to see during this uh, Skywalker era. Tragedy also befell these fearless steel men. It was in 1907 that 33 Mohawk workers from Kahnawake died in the collapse of the Quebec Bridge. And this is important because it also changed how these iron workers, these Skywalkers did their jobs. It completely changed the structure of it. That many men dying, you know, it was, it was bad. The tragedy left widows and orphans, dozens of them, and it gutted their community. I mean... 33 men, all of working age, like the healthiest age, the most, con they contributed the most. They, they're bringing home pretty fat paychecks. They got paid really well to do this very dangerous job, you know, hazard pay. 33 of them died and like an entire family, entire tribe just wiped out. There was protests uh, that they not continue this dangerous work. Even the, uh, the decent hazard pay that these men received wasn't enough con to compensate for the loss of life, of course. Um, but the Mohawk workers did return after their wives demanded they work in dispersed riveting gangs instead of uh, in family groups. So they would have one guy from this group and, and just dispersed out as, as opposed to the 33 men who are all from the same area all died. And like I said, it destroyed that community that those men belonged to. Beauvais said it, it was typical for women to call the shots, quote, women always chose the chiefs because they lived in uh, matrineal clans and saw the boys grow up, she said. They would choose leaders because they knew about their boys, characteristics from infancy to manhood. And so Beauvais' insight into this matter is pertinent. I mean, it, it's it's monumental. She's old. She's been around for multiple generations seeing all this. And I love the fact that the women are the ones calling the shots. The men do the work, but the women are like, well, 
you're tired at the end of the day. We're going to figure out some of the logistics of this. When it first started in the 1880s, it was a good paying job for a lot of Mohawk men. But as it continued, it became part of their culture. Working on these towers became tradition, a rite of passage. Fathers and grandfathers taught the next generation to face their fears and get the job done. Some Iroquois compare working, excuse me, working the iron to another chapter of their history, a part of their lineage of their people, which I think is neat. That's really cool. Um, a lot of these tribes, they, they pass their history down through song. This was added in there. The Skywalker. The Skywalker tradition was passed down for many generations as Mohawks worked the highest deal from Ontario to Chicago and Philadelphia and as far away as San Francisco. They even established a neighborhood of their own in Brooklyn, New York, which that was cool. One of the a really good quote, I, I put this on the blog or the episode description because <laughs> it's just a, it's such a representative a representation of the times as well. Putting riveting tools in the Mohawks' hands was like putting ham with eggs. They were natural-born bridgemen, said one construction company official. I love that. <laughs> that was from the Carnegie Museum of Natural History, <laughs> and that's a great quote. <laughs> Sky skyscrapers of the 1920s and 30s were framed with steel columns, beams, and girders fitted together by four-man riveting gangs. One man called a heater fired the rivets in a uh, portable forge until they were red hot, tossing them to the sticker in who, who caught it in a metal can or glove. The bucker up braced the rivet with a dolly bar while the riveter used a pneumatic hammer to mushroom out the rivet stem to secure the locking steel. So <laughs> they had names like the heater, the sticker in, the bucker up, and the riveter. And they're tossing around hot metal. <laughs> this is insane. Uh, way before OSHA. They took turns on each job while standing on narrow scaffolding hundreds of feet above the street. It was always windy up there. And in winter, the men cleaned off the steel beams of ice and snow before working on them, Beauvais said. In the old days, there were no safety lines and they didn't wear helmets. It was hard work, but they never talked about the danger. Our men have always really enjoyed their work and we're proud of it. And I have pictures on the blog, one on uh, from Pittsburgh, I believe it must be the steel building, how high up they are. Not a single safety line. In this picture, they are wearing hard hats. Don't know why. <laughs> I actually did very briefly, like a, like two summers and a winter, I was a roofer and I always wondered, why are, we, why are we wearing hard hats? There's literally nothing above us. There's nothing's higher than us, not even the trees. <laughs> but anyways, they're wearing hard hats, which I think is the most useless up there. But you never know. Somebody might throw a tool or something, but not a single safety harness, nothing. No lines, no netting, nothing. That is insane to me. It's pre-OSHA days and they're so high up. <laughs> it's insane. As time went on, technology advanced with hardened steel skeletons fastened by rivet gangs. The towers these men created grew higher than anyone could have imagined, and so did their legend. They started out doing bridges and relatively not that high skyscrapers, and then, you know, but 20s and 30s, it just went off. During the 20s, this led to a race to the sky as some of the most notable skyscrapers in Gotham began to take shape. Mohawks worked on the 1,046-foot Chrysler Building, a stainless steel-sided uh, Art Deco masterpiece that was completed in 1930. It was the tallest building in the world until, less than a year later, it was surpassed by the Empire State Building, a 1,250 feet. Also, with the help of the Mohawk Skywalkers, um, 
also with the help of the Skywalkers, then helped out on Rockefeller Plaza, which was finished in 1933. This was the golden age of the Skywalkers. This is when they're putting up iconic building after iconic building, buildings that are still iconic today. And at the time were like, it was in, it was unfathomable how tall they were. Lynn Beauvais grandfather, uh, Joseph Jocks worked on several of them. He told her that during the Great Depression, men were desperate for jobs. Men would wait on the street for someone to fall off so they could take their job. My grandmother would walk miles to find day-old bread to eat, but they survived. I find that morbid, but also a very interesting piece of this, that men would wait during the Great Depression at the bottom of the street, wait till they heard a body fall from the skyscraper, and then they knew a job was available different times you know hard times make make hard men i mean hard men make great times that's crazy bove was proud of her grandfather's work on the empire state building once the tallest building in the world but uh quote but when i got older he told me that there were going to be other buildings even taller the world trade center towers i w was sad that my empire state building was going to be outdone but joe jocks also went to work on the trade towers so her family worked on some of the most iconic buildings in the world one after the other, outdoing them. After World War II, as the rest of America was transforming into the world's superpower uh, we know today, the American Indians started to move away from the reservations and into the urban areas of the country. Now, it is over 60% of American Indians live in the U.S. cities. The U.S. government encouraged this urbanization in the 50s with federal relocation programs. Now, if you know anything if you're like me and you know a little bit about history, a little about the American Indian history, not much. I'm not an expert, but a little bit. That's a little bit of a red flag. The U.S. government uh, making federal relocation programs for American Indians sounds uh, eerily similar to the relocation programs the U.S. government imposed on the native populations in the 17 and 1800s. But I digress. The federal U.S. government said there would be cheap, beautiful homes, uh, happy homes, well-paying jobs and a happy life. But when thousands flocked to U.S. Uh, US cities, they found crap-paying jobs and expensive, crappy apartments. Many uh, went back to their reservations. So, yeah, once again, another unfulfilled promise by the U.S. government to the Native Indigenous people of America. Many went back to the reservations. Unfamiliar cha challenges confront Native people who move to urban areas. Life in the city often means living next door to non-Indian strangers who don't understand their customs. It means trying to balance one's traditional cultural values with the often conflicting requirements for success in mainstream society. Despite all that, some did manage to call New York City their home. Before researching this episode, I had no idea New York City had a little... Um, I apologize for my pronunciation, but a little Kaganawaga... I'm not joking. That's what it looks like. Cognawaga, <laughs> little Cognawaga neighborhood. In the 1960s, the Skywalkers were well-known and well-established class of respected and high-paid workers. Um, and about 800 of these Mohawk iron workers called Brooklyn home. They went to the Wigwam Bar for drinks and attended church held by Reverend David Monroe Corey. Uh, Monroe Corey even learned the Mohawk language to address his flock with sermons given in their native language, which I thought was cool. Stores stayed stocked with Mohawk ingredients because that's what they're buying, that's what they'll be selling. Cornbread and beans was the biggest hit. The, this enclave of indigenous tradesmen centered around the Brooklyn local 361 Iron Workers Union made up largely of uh, Kanawake Mohawks, old timers in the Brooklyn neighborhood known as Little Kanawaga, <laughs> an early uh, spelling of Kanawake, 
would recall the booming 1920s and 1930s when the Mohawk Skywalkers became legend while building the nation's most bustling metropolis above the entrance of the wigwam was a sign that read the greatest iron workers in the world pass through these doors. So their local bar had that on it. I love it. History.com gave me those quotes right there. And I, I'll talk about this towards the end, but I'm scrolling through the blog here, reading from it. I use it as, as a script. These images are worth looking. Just look up, you know, Mohawk iron workers. It's, I'll talk more about it at the end. <laughs> Hundreds of Mohawk ironworkers went to work on the World Trade Center towers in the late 1960s. Beauvais watched the towers rise from her mother's kitchen window in Brooklyn. Her grandfather said not to visit the job site to see what the men do. It'll make you nervous, she said, and it does. Uh, I went to Lower Manhattan later to see my brother, Kyle Beauvais. He was working five stories up, and I saw him walking outside of the building to come see me. I couldn't stand to watch him. That's nuts. You can't even watch them do it. Then 9-11 happened and infamously destroyed the Twin Towers. The Mohawks, uh, familiar with steelwork and crane operating, showed up to Ground Zero to help with rescue. So, pretty cool. Including members of the Beauvais family, uh, my brother Kyle went on eight hours after the towers came down. My grandfather had worked on the construction of the towers and retired from that job. My brothers worked on their final demolition and sent them to the scrapyard. We non-Indigenous people like to add mysticism to the American Indians. I know I definitely had those beliefs when I was a little kid, but we should be careful of that. There, there's lore surrounding the Mohawks and how their skill as Skywalkers comes from otherworldly powers or something like that. But that, you know, that's malarkey. They're people. It comes from a generational training to control one's fear, trust their team, and innate balance. Today, the uh, riveting gangs have been replaced by technology, but work on these skyscrapers is still perilous, and they still do it. The, the, I did not know that. There's a couple things I didn't... I've heard about these skywalkers before. That's why I decided to do an episode when I saw a clip on Facebook reels. But now I learned quite a lot, and one is they're still doing it. They're still the ones they call upon when people have to climb way up in the air. Um and this is something they've been teaching themselves for generations to do. There are still 35 to 50 fatalities each year, the majority from falls. Many Mohawk iron workers have fallen to their deaths while on the job. Steel girder crosses uh, mark the graves of fallen skywalkers in the Kanawake Cemetery. So this has become such a big part of their culture. And, you know, it started in the 1880s. We're now in 2020s. This is over a century almost a century and a half of this as their culture, a part of their culture, a part of their people's history. Now native people from all over the country are being trained as iron workers in the National Iron Workers Training Program for American Indians. Walking the high steel, uh, high steel earns a good wage, but it also is a source of pride. Iron work uh, provides the Indians with an honorable way to make a living. Young iron workers carry the reputation of their fathers or uncles to each job, but you earn your own name among them among the men, and a new reputation is born for your sons to live up to. That's how they see it. It's a, it's something they, 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 they enjoy. Joel Budd from The Guardian wrote in 2000, 2002, so keep in mind this is from 2002, last autumn, a new 10-story building went up in West 4th Street in Manhattan. The road is a busy one, and recent events have made New Yorkers more curious about how large buildings are put together. So many people stop to watch. There's recent events he's talking about. Remember, he wrote it in 2002. He's talking about 9-11. Okay, again. Those who happened to look up at the building before its steel skeleton was covered with fire retardant might have noticed an unusual detail. On a girder halfway up, 
the building, a word was written in orange letters a foot high, Mohawks. The man who put his nation's name on the steel was following in a proud tradition. The spectacle, spectacle of Native Americans uh, Native Americans working on the world's most ambitious skyscrapers has long entranced photographers who have aimed their cameras at Mohawk ironworkers almost as long as they have been around. So, and, you know, one, I said I'd talk about this later, um, Joel Budd from The Guardian, he, that whole article was mostly about photographs. I just liked his intro, how he talked about they write Mohawks on the steel beams before they're covered up. One recurring theme I noticed while looking into the Skywalkers was photography. You know, while my podcast is mainly meant for audio, and I do believe this story can be carried mainly through audible means, the photos of these men on top of the world is truly spectacular. Some of the, I mean, the photographers are great, but what these men are doing, they capture it in such a beautiful way. Without the photos, their legend wouldn't be as profound. So check out my blog or simply Google the Mohawk Iron Workers or, you know, like the Iroquois Skywalkers, and it's it's daunting. I hope you enjoyed this um, little piece of history that I was vaguely aware of. That's sort of what this podcast is about. Um, something I'm vaguely aware of and interested in, and then I research it. I was doing this. I've said this before. Before I ever did this podcast in January of 2020, yes, that's right, months before the pandemic hit the U.S., I was already reading blogs, researching things, and then just not writing it down. And I just was learning about the world. Then I started writing it down, but just so I could remember it and read it back later. And then I realized I'm actively writing <laughs> like a blog here. I'm just not sharing it. So then I started the blog and then I started the podcast. So yeah, that's what it's about. Skywalkers and the fact that they built some of the most dangerous infrastructure in America. And people don't really talk about it that much. It is a legend. And my father told me about it years ago when I was a kid, but I didn't know that it's still going on and it's part of their culture and they, they take pride in it. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, Skywalkers, episode 177. Until next time, have a good week. Mm -hmm.